The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And I'm delighted today to have with us Jay Feldman. Jay is the executive director of Beyond Pesticides. He is a co-founder of the organization, and you have served Jay as director since 1981. And I met you in person at your last annual conference in Cleveland, Ohio. The conference was simply titled Beyond Pesticides. And it was one of the best meetings I've been to in a long time, connecting the dots between how we raise our food, the the toxic compounds in our environment, and public health. So welcome. Well, thank you. And thanks, Melinda, for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Appreciate all your kind thoughts. It's um, it, there's a lot of uh, excitement going on out there across the country, and we try to capture a little bit of that through the national forum that we have annually. So I'm glad you could be a part of it this year. Well, tell me something. What is the mission of Beyond Pesticides? Well, our simple mis- mission is to make the world a safer place by eliminating reliance on pesticides, on toxic pesticides that have adverse health and environmental effects and are associated with a you know range of occupational exposures, um, environmental impacts, climate change, health and safety issues relating to food residues. And impacts on, you know, our households and our pets. And so it's really interesting how broad the pesticide issue is in terms of how we come into contact with toxic chemicals that are in the environment and we're involuntarily exposed to as a result either of our own actions and not having full knowledge or as a result of our inability to breathe clean air or eat clean food or drink clean water. How did you get involved with this work? Well, originally I was working with an organization uh, by the name of Rural America, and we focused on advocacy uh, issues for small town and rural people. And we were working with farm workers and farm worker organizations at that time back in the late 70s. And President Carter, Jimmy Carter, had just been elected, and there was this sense that, hey, we can make some change interestingly similar feeling to uh, our recent uh, election and of uh, you know Barack Obama and at that point the farmer organization had been seeking the adoption of standards on the farm occupational safety and health standards because in the code of federal regulations and this is Unfortunately, farm workers find themselves under the Environmental Protection Agency as opposed to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration and the Department of Labor in terms of all of their workplace protections. So the farm workers had sued EPA, and with the new president coming in, the response was, we can work this out. Let's develop a new set of standards for farm workers. But before we can do that, we really need to collect data from the field. 
and that data should serve as a basis for a really in-depth worker protection standard. So they hired Rural America and me to go out in the field and collect the experiences of farm workers. And what we did is we held hearings, or we called them, we actually called them forums, in which we brought down all the agency people, So, because there are cross-cutting issues, obviously, when you're talking about exposure in the field. And there are some aspects of the farm, as we know, that are, are covered by Department of Labor. So we had Labor Department, we had the EPA, we had the state enforcement agencies, and they all came down to farming areas in California and Florida and Texas, and we actually gave the farm workers an opportunity to talk directly to the policymakers from Washington and from their state capitals. It was a fascinating experience. I had the opportunity to spend uh, over a year meeting with farm workers in labor camps, talking to small farmers, just about what their experiences were in terms of handling pesticides, pesticide exposure, illness, enforcement issues, and we brought the best of those who could articulate the issues directly to the policymakers. That really, as you can imagine, that really got me emotionally involved in this issue because, mm-hmm. you know, when I was meeting in, in the trailers and the homes of farm workers, we weren't talking about the law. We were talking about what their experiences were and what their kids' experiences were. You know, the fact that most farm workers at that time, and I think still a lot today, bring the children to the fields with them, and they may sit off to the side of the field playing in their car or playing by the side of the field, but they're getting exposures. And, of course, farm workers are bringing the exposures home on their bodies into their homes. And, of course, chemicals are drifting off the treated lands right into their their homes. So that experience really, really got me involved with this health an environmental problem, and hearing it from the perspective of those who were trying to grow food safely, farmers, small farmers, uh, who didn't have full information on pesticides, who recognized that the federal and state governments were not adequately regulating these chemicals, and who were getting advice from extension agents to really develop farming systems that were wholly reliant on toxic chemicals or pesticides. And so our whole goal as a part of this process was to bring the data back to Washington, D.C., and use that data to develop a farmer protection standard. But right in the middle of this whole thing, President Carter was up for re-election, and there was a pulling back, as there were on many issues on this issue. And they pulled back on the issue, and I, having been invested in this this whole concern, decided that it was time to sort of start this organization to bring the voice of farm workers and small farmers directly to the political decision-making process, the regulatory and policy-making process, so that we could make, make some change. But it was really interesting because, you know, in bringing the issues directly to Congress, which I had an opportunity to do in those early years, you know, I didn't really know that much about the federal law. I mean, I got to know about it almost too intimately. But I was of the impression that, you know, if we bring good, solid facts to Congress, 
and I, you know, I have to understand, I was in my mid to late twenties, that that Congress would listen and do the right thing, that we would be able to change laws to address problems and deficiencies in the protection of health and the environment. And what, of course, we found, this issue being under the jurisdiction of the Agriculture Committees of Congress, was that they were more interested in protecting the agrochemical industry than they were those handling the, the chemicals in the field. So this created the basis, the foundation, for identifying the need for a strong voice, a persistent voice, one that could constantly bring the experiences of people to the policy arena so that people could know that they had their representatives in Washington, whether it was in the federal agencies or in Congress, and that there could also be involvement at the local level to engage those back in the district who are representing all these areas of our country where this contamination and poisoning is ongoing to give them the tools that they need to educate those who are in policy-making positions, including their members of Congress and their local commissioners, local elected officials, to really embrace with some honesty uh, the real issues that we're facing when it comes to toxic chemical exposure, particularly pesticides. It's so funny that you mentioned this awareness about how changes in policy are made. I had the same revelation as you, only mine came much later. My kids were older, and I thought, all we need is the science. The science should yeah. should change the policy. And then I realized, like you, that there was a much more complicated system at work that was really tied to money and power. Yeah. And I think that what I really like about your organization, as I mentioned you know, prior to going on air, is that your publications and your website, which I will tell our listeners, is simply www.beyondpesticides.org, is that not only do you tell the story backed by science, but you also have the action steps, how to get involved, how to make a difference. And I think that in much of the literature that I see, we, we read about the problem, but we don't have that take action step. So I'm going to be plugging your organization for a long time to come. Really appreciate that. No, I, I think you're right that that is a goal and a mission of the organization to empower people to, with information to give them the tools they need to be effective advocates or activists, both in their community, at the state level, at the national level, that the only way we really make real change is, yes, to bring science forward, but to bring science packaged with activism to give people the power and the confidence to voice their concerns, their intuitions, what they know to be true, in an effective way. And, you know, we can see this over and over again as people are successful, whether it's in their kid's school or it, you know, it has to do with the mosquito spraying program in their community or figuring out what they're going to buy in, in the food market, what they're going to buy in terms of safe food and, and look for. Because, of course, as we all know, we make decisions every day with our food dollars when we decide what kind of food we're going to buy, whether it's organically produced or not. That has a dramatic impact on the communities that I worked with when I first got involved and continue to work with 
in the farm worker community and the farming community. Our decisions in the marketplace have direct impact on the practices that go on across the country. So, yeah, it's it's critical that we help everybody engage at whatever level they're comfortable engaging on and and do that in a way that helps people to articulate. And I find, I'm sure as you do, that people are incredibly articulate <laughs> in voicing their concerns and to empower that ability to speak with real solid facts is a great synergy, I think, that that hopefully our organization contributes to, as do many others. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Jay Feldman, who's the executive director of Beyond Pesticides. You're also a co-founder of the organization. And I want to mention that you recently were appointed by USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack to serve on the National Organic Standards Board, which I'm delighted to see being an advocate of organic food and agriculture. Jay, I have to ask you, I know you've got your organizations has several campaigns going on right now, and I want to give you the freedom to address those that you think are most salient. Well, you mentioned organic, so let's just start with that, because I know we agree wholeheartedly on the importance of organic, and I see this as a very important movement for many reasons. First, of course, there's no question that it's safer for those who eat the food. In addition, supporting organic agriculture is a way that consumers can protect the environment and those in the workplace and on the farm. You know, there's a whole circle of poison when you're looking at toxic chemicals starting at the point of production, point of use, point of disposal, and and throughout that cycle, we see contamination. So we really want to help ensure that organic food and organic policies that govern the production of organic food has extreme integrity and that people can trust that the process is uh, carried out uh, under strict standards and strict guidance so that we can assure people that the money that we're willing to spend, and people are willing to spend extra money if that's what it takes, will really protect us, protect our kids, protect the environment, protect the workers who are growing our food in this country. So it's a key issue. It goes back to the roots of our organization when we first testified with Bob Rodale on the Agricultural Productivity Act and the Organic Farming Act, which set up the Low Input Sustainable Agriculture Program at USDA, which has now been in several incarnations. But the idea being we need to shift our focus to make organic the majority sort of approach, the, the prevalent approach to food production in this, in this country. And beyond that, all of these issues are interconnected because if we're concerned about the health of our families and we're concerned about our children and the water and the animals that live on this planet with us, then we really are concerned about what's going on in our community vis-a-vis pesticide use. Uh, it affects us, you know, let's say we're gardening, obviously. If we're spraying pesticides in the community for mosquitoes, we can't avoid that spray because of the drift uh, and the contamination of the air. So we work with people on community pest management. And that's a very broad term for what goes on overall in the community. When we walk out our front doors, obviously we have a lot of control over what goes on within our households. 
and we can make a decision today that we're going to manage our households without bringing pesticides into the home. And we have to look very carefully at where those pesticides and other toxic chemicals are because sometimes in cleaning agents, for instance, there are fungicides and there are antibacterial soaps that we're using uh, on our children and in our homes. And so we need to do an inventory of that, and we work with people on, on doing that so they can replace those approaches. But as, as I say, when we walk out the front door, we're faced with uh, our community and where we send our kids to school, our religious institutions, our workplaces. And in all of those scenarios, there are pesticide patterns of use that are harmful to our health. And so we have a schools program where we're working with parent-teacher associations, school boards, to adopt policies that literally take the pesticides out of the schools. And this can literally be done with proper management techniques that exclude pests rather than trying to treat them when they get in the building. And this is just really a matter of good maintenance and caulking cracks and crevices and entryways, door sweeps, simple stuff that fall under the banner of facility management that can really replace toxic chemicals. And the same thing's true in hospitals where we have a project. So we're working with hospitals to do the same thing. And by the way, there's a food connection, obviously, in all these institutions. So as we learn more about how to remove these toxic chemicals from the indoors of these buildings, and, and you'd be really surprised to learn how contaminated the indoor ambient air is as a result of the off-gassing of these chemicals that are often used in these buildings, so the re- replacing these with non-chemical approaches to management are key, a key factor. But food, obviously the choices of food, both in hospitals and schools and other institutions, is a key issue at which we can manage to bring organic food into these institutions, support local organically grown food as well through farmer's markets. And this is happening, and we're working uh, on this throughout the country as well. You know, I I mentioned earlier mosquito spraying because this comes up all the time where, you know, a real evaluation is to the efficacy of the best approach. And what we find with mosquito management is it really is a question of managing breeding areas rather than trying to spray a mosquito in flight, which is what you have to do when you have what they call an adult deciding program where you're going after adult mosquitoes as opposed to the breeding areas where the insect is reproducing, standing water, et cetera. So this is sort of an overview of of what we do. And within this context, what, what we can help people do once they identify where the pesticide use is going on, identify the toxic chemicals that are used, evaluate those uses, the impacts of those use patterns, the exposures, the toxicity, the whatever studies exist, epidemiology and the scientific literature, and work on advocating the replacement of those chemical-intensive practices with non-chemical approaches to managing facilities. We have a huge opportunity when it comes to turf management, playing fields, parks, because there's no question that we can manage those areas organically, and the resources are there, incredible some of those resources you heard at the conference uh, with practitioners both uh, in, in, in these institutions as well as in the private sector now that are able to deliver these services 
in a manner that does not use these toxic chemicals. It's a really exciting period right now, I think, that we're in. There's an awareness that communities need to green themselves. Many cities across, and, and local communities across the country are adopting policies on greening, but there's a really important role for people to, to play in defining what that actually means and getting down to the specifics that's what we're here to work with people on and really look forward to that opportunity. Just this afternoon, I saw a pesticide truck pull into my neighbor's driveway, and yeah. I remembered picking up from the conference a door tag that yeah. says, want a, want a green lawn safe for children and pets? And really, when you think about it, what is more important than protecting right. our children? And you've got uh, on the back of it, you know, a reminder that we don't need toxic lawn chemicals to have a healthy green lawn. And, and there's even a website, www.pesticidefreelawns.org, yeah. with a reminder on why it's so important. You also have campaigns for the major baseball league, right? Not using hazardous pesticides on baseball fields. Yes. You know, it's interesting because Major League Baseball just signed a deal with Scott's Chemical, or I guess they call themselves Scott's Miracle Grow now, and that agreement is really to promote the look that we see on a baseball field in your front and backyard. And unfortunately, as your listeners may know, you know, Scott's promotes a chemical intensive approach to managing lawns. They have, I don't know if it's a four or eight step program now, they keep changing it, but it really relies on chemical fertilization, which has detrimental impacts on microorganisms in the soil, which are, which are essential to a healthy, to healthy soils and healthy plants. And it, its approach is not realistic when it comes to the home lawn. It's, it is simply inappropriate to suggest to people that they can have the look of a baseball field as it is inappropriate to golfers to suggest that the Augusta look that they see on their TV is what their local golf course should look like. There is no question that we can have beautiful lawns, beautiful turf, beautiful baseball fields, beautiful golf courses without a reliance on these toxic chemicals. But it certainly is not the approach that Scott's is selling. It starts, as does the organic systems plan for for a farmer, starts with a plan that focuses on creating a healthy soil. And that starts with organic matter. It starts with humus. It starts with a respect of nature and the protection of the microorganisms and the earthworms and the soil. And only then can we have healthy plants. So our mantra is feed the soil, not the plant. And with this approach, many, many communities have had success with their turf management programs. Now, you know, when it comes to cosmetic use of pesticides, many of the provinces of Canada now have banned the cosmetic use of pesticides, basically saying that there's no justification after having looked through the scientific literature and seen the College of Family uh, Practice uh, Physicians weigh in to say that the hazards associated with these chemicals is simply not justified by the benefit we're getting from a nice lawn. And by the way, there are alternatives for having a nice lawn. So 
I think we're making some progress in that arena. There are dozens and dozens of communities across the United States that have decided on their property, on public property, whether it's a park or it's a median strip down the, the local highway, that they are not going to use pesticides in the management of those land areas. You know, Jay, um, we just have a couple of minutes left, and I knew that our time would fly by. And I have many more issues that I would like to talk with you about regarding hand washing versus these in, these sanitizers that are everywhere. Oh, yeah. Right? But I want to give you an opportunity to leave our listeners with a charge, invite you to come back in a, in a timely fashion, sure. and also refer people again to your website, which is www.beyondpesticides.org. And I believe you'll have some information posted from the green, it was actually called the Greening the Community Conference put on by Beyond Pesticides. But you'll have some resource materials up on the website from that meeting? Yes, including videos of the actual sessions. Not all of them, unfortunately, but most of them will be up there. Fantastic. So what's the charge, Jay? Well, first of all, the charge is to get active on this issue. One of the things we need to understand wherever we are, and don't be challenged by the idea that chemicals are registered by EPA and therefore safe for your family and children, we need to go out and advocate for the precautionary principle, which is what we do every day in other aspects of our lives. You know, we put seatbelts on our children and, and bicycle helmets on their heads before they go out because we want to prevent hazard to them. And this is this is our charge, to take that same perspective and say, Let's not use chemicals we know to be toxic when we have alternatives that can achieve the same end pest management goal. And then let's take that philosophy, go through our homes, our schools, our community, and basically question our management practices, work with Beyond Pesticides and other groups like ours to help evaluate what is being done currently and advocate for safer approaches to this. And then once we get a handle on this, let's use our voices at the state level and at the federal level to advocate for alternative policies. Jay, I'm going to have to cut us off because we're limited to 30 minutes. I'm okay. so that's sorry. Great. But you will be back, I promise. No, that's fine. I want to remind our listeners that we've been speaking with Jay Feldman, Executive Director of Beyond Pesticides, and to thank our listeners, to thank Jay, and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Jay, thank you so much. Thanks, Melinda. Appreciate it.